Welcome to the Sales Mindset Podcast. I'm Dennis, Dr. Dennis D, and today I am with Jason Cutter. Jason Cutter is the author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion and has his own podcast, The Authentic Persuasion Podcast. He is a speaker, he is a coach, and the founder of the Cutter Consulting Group. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Love to talk to you. So we talk about mindset here, and authentic persuasion is your thing. Yeah. So what does it mean to be an authentic salesperson? Well, that's such a loaded question, especially because different people have different thoughts about that word authenticity. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've, I had a guest on my show once who was like, I hate the word authenticity. And I'm like, okay, this should be fun uh, <laughs> on the Authentic Persuasion Show. And to me, authenticity is all about you being you. And some people might use the word transparent, but it's really about there should be no difference when you're in sales mode, when you're in your personal mode, whatever that looks like, it's you being you. Mm -hmm. And then also understanding how you work and the value of being you in the sales environment. There's so many people who get into sales and they think they have to play salesperson, Mm -hmm. right? They watch the movies, the TV shows, they see people they know and think, I got to act like this way and I've got to tell stories. I got to be charismatic and extrovert and I've got to like do these things. But that's not me. So I got to play the part of salesperson. And that doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And it's really not what people want. Mm -hmm. Do people have trouble doing that even when they know that it's better for them? It, It is. It's tough because a lot of people worry, I'll use myself as an example, mm-hmm. worry that who they are is not going to be effective in sales because, again, there's this thought of, okay, what is a salesperson like? What do they do? And there's this archetype or this role that I've got to do. So if I'm me, will people like it? What mm-hmm. if I screw up? What if I mess up? What if I'm not perfect? What if they don't like my jokes? Like, whatever. And there's also a part of us which goes into this show and why you do what you do, but that we don't want to be ourselves too much because then we're vulnerable. And if people don't like it, that's an attack on us and mm-hmm. our ego and really crushes our soul. Yeah. It's easier to act like somebody. And if they don't like that, well, that was just a mask. That's not me. Okay. So tell me about your path to discovering this, not just for yourself, but as something that you really wanted to triumph. Yeah, so my brief background is that I was raised by a banker mom and an engineer dad, mm-hmm. loving parents together to this day, not business people, not salespeople, no one in our family is. Um, and my mom hates salespeople, literally hates mm-hmm. classic old school salespeople. She loves somebody who's actually helpful, but she hates salespeople. I went to college and got a bachelor's degree in marine biology. And as I joke, I tagged sharks as a safer career choice than dealing with humans because that was a better way to go. Then I fell into sales. I ran away from it. I went back into it. And really for me, I never thought I was in sales for the longest time. I thought I was just helping people Mm -hmm. when I went into the roles. So I just developed, like, I just want to help you. I'm just me. This is me. I'm helping you. I don't actually matter in this whole transaction. It's all about you and I want to help you. And so then I just realized what really works and what people crave is they want you and to know you actually care and want to help. And then that works. And then just doing that with teams when I was, uh, you know, in a VP of sales and marketing role and then also just consulting with companies all over the place and helping salespeople realize like, okay, just be you who actually cares and wants to help and that will work and it's sustainable. 
So there's a few things I, I, I really want to unpack there. Uh, the first, I think, is the most obvious. You didn't think of yourself as being a salesperson. And I think there's so many layers to why that is. I want to talk about my thoughts on it, but I want to get yours as well. But there's obviously that stereotype of mm -hmm. what selling is and salespeople and the the creepy car salesperson mm -hmm. who factors into the book that I'm writing right now actually is as the person not to be yeah. the Matilda the dad from Matilda who mm -hmm. winds back the the, the odometer uh, and we know where that comes from that comes from snake oil salesman and, and whatnot but how many people out there are are hiding, are obfuscating, are afraid to say, I sell just because of everyone else's per perception. But if we just took a step back and realized if everyone who did sell said that they sold, yeah. it would be such a more accepted career path for a lot of individuals. Uh, the second piece to that, that I loved that you said, is that it's about helping people. Yeah. You know, a good salesperson is a problem solver. And that's something that I, you know, I talk about in my training course, but I really beat that drum in my sales classes at the university. Uh, and when you see yourself like that, you're able to really focus in on what's right. And I think that's what makes a good successful salesperson counterintuitive to the stereotype of a salesperson. Yeah. And the problem solving, the the where it leads to the right sales experience for that customer, not customer experience, because they're not a customer yet, so it's about the sales experience, mm -hmm. is that the problem solving has to be the first priority, not the quota, not the not the pipeline, not the commission, not anything like that. The solving the problem has to come first. Mm -hmm. That's what shifts sales from feeling gross and dirty on both ends of the transaction to this thing that's of service, and then what's of service is easy. Not saying you do it for free, you should make money. The more problems you solve, the more value you provide, the more money you should make, whether you solve a million little problems or one giant problem, mm -hmm. like that's what it's all about. But that problem solving has to come first. That's why part of what I teach, and it's actually part of my mission statement, is to leave people better than I found them. Okay. My goal is to leave like like the Cub Scouts, right? It's like, you know, leave a place better than you found it when you're camping or hiking. I want to leave you better. If I can help you and sell you something, great. If I can't, but I can give you advice or tell you to not buy this, but buy that, that's all I care about. And then I play the numbers game. There's 8 billion people on the planet. You know, you, you do that enough and it works right? out. Yeah, yeah. I love the mission. I love the vision. It's all about other people Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about that. So let's, let's maybe get a little vulnerable. Let's talk about uh, some of your early challenges. When you went into sales, you mentioned your mother was yeah. not a fan yeah. of, of salespeople. How, how was that? How did that go for you? So it's interesting because I, because I didn't think I was in sales, mm -hmm. I didn't think that it was something that wasn't going to be acceptable, nor mm. was I worried about that, right? Okay. So I, my first job in a sales role Tech, like a professional sales role, was in the mortgage business in 2002 in the Seattle area. I was 27 years old, height of the real estate boom. We were not salespeople. We were order takers. In yeah, fact, we joked yeah. about it. We joked about the fact that if you answered your phone every once in a while and sometimes called people back, you would make six figures just right. by showing up. Yeah. Like literally, and I had no idea what I was doing and it was a mess and I made tons of mistakes, but I was a mortgage loan officer, not a salesperson. Going back to the point you made a few minutes ago where 
the title was not salesperson. I didn't think of myself as a salesperson. We didn't call ourselves salespeople. Mm-hmm. And thus, I didn't equate it to the gross salespeople that my mom hated and that I grew up hating. And I still hate. I still cannot stand gross salespeople <laughs> when I encounter them. Yeah, uh, I'm a great customer with people who know how to sell. I am a monster against people who are just terrible. I like, think I, I have no tolerance for incompetent <laughs> or gross yeah. ends of the spectrum. So for me... I didn't think I was in sales. And then I went from that to helping people in foreclosure, like avoid losing their homes. And Mm. I didn't think I was in sales. And then I went to a company where we did that and helped people. And I knew that we had salespeople, but we weren't in sales. We were helping people. Right. And it was like, that's what we did. And so like, I never, like, it wasn't until I was writing the book that I was like, Oh yeah, I guess. I mean, and I knew I was in sales. I was like, I guess that was sales, just not sales. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned the book. I had a different question, but now I want to go to the <laughs> book. What inspired you to write the book? Um, you know, it's it's truly in the vein of write the book that you wish you had mm-hmm. when you faced whatever it was. Yeah, right. It, it was it was mostly that, and then partly manual of like, this is what I've learned. This is how to do it in a way that feels good and right and helps people. And I was like, I just have to write it. And it was so easy to write. It was hard to edit, Um, (laughs) but it was super easy to write because it was just like going back 12, 15 years of sales, but also leadership and training and going, okay, what worked? What didn't work? What did did non-sales people do? Because the subtitle to the book is transformed from order taker to quota breaker. So many people get into sales. They need to, they need a job. Their friend talks them into it, but they don't want to be gross. So they end up as order takers. They could be amazing. They're just not because they don't want to cross the line, but there's a place in the middle, like the stuff that we all agree on. And it, it was like, I just had to write it. Like there was no other choice. Excellent, excellent. You answer my next question, which is a brief synopsis of the book. <laughs> so that's great. So let's talk a little bit more about you again. And I want to know what, what your greatest challenge was overcoming as you were building yourself up as a problem solver, as a as not an order taker, but the obfuscated salesperson. So the biggest challenge, you mean with myself or the sales process or whatever, any of that? I think... You know, when we go with the mindset approach, we want to think about yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, But I think in that may be part of the process as well. So the biggest thing for me that I had to learn the really hard way and then became so important and something I really focus on with other people is I sold the way that I like to buy. Despite Mm. what people think, especially now, because I've evolved and I'm, 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 much different now, much more confident than even was at 27, mm-hmm. is I am an analytical, more introverted person. Mm-hmm. I I am an analytical data person first. Right. And so I love facts and figures and information because I don't want to make the wrong choice and I don't want to look bad. And if you look at fears of that kind of person, then it's like, okay, so this is what I need to buy. Don't give me any pressure. Give me the facts. Let me make my decision and I will make a decision. So when I first started selling, that's what I did, especially Mm. in the mortgage business. I would literally make a spreadsheet with nine different options of what mortgage combo they should pick. Mm -hmm. And then I would slide it across the table and then we'd talk about it. And then they would say, okay, thank you. Let us think about it. And then my boss was like, wait, why are you literally not closing any of these deals 
from all these appointments you have? And he sat down and said, oh, why are you doing that? Give them two choices. Mm -hmm. Your job is to figure out what they need and want. Give them two choices, A and B, and then move forward. And so I had to get out of my own way because one of the biggest things I did was golden rule. Treat others like you want to be treated. So I sold how I wanted to be treated. And that doesn't work because it's just that's not you don't do that. More of the platinum rule is important. Mm -hmm. And so it was really getting myself out of my own way. Okay. Okay. Uh, So talk to me about managers. (laughs) So I know you've got your consulting group. You where you train salespeople. I'm assuming you work with managers as well. Yes. How if someone's a manager or wants to be a manager, how can they use what you talk about with authenticity to work with their people, but also be an authentic manager? Well, the the big thing is, is that with authentic persuasion, both parts, right? One is about you understanding you, and then one is having an intentional, you know, plan to move someone forward. It's understanding at the basic level that sales is actually leadership, Mm. meaning that you are a leader over the prospect. Now, here's the problem, and I'll get into the manager side, is that most classic salespeople think their job is to push that person forward and overcome objections and just kind of manage that. Mm-hmm. So they're managers of the prospect, and no one likes managers, and managers micromanage and push, carrot and stick, and they do all the terrible stuff that managers do, but that's what salespeople do. When you step back from it, a really good salesperson is a leader of the prospect that says, you have this problem or goal, I know how to get there, follow me and I will pull you with me, and I'm gonna do it in a way that's authentic and custom for you, because you're an individual and I'm gonna help you in your own way that you need to be done. So when if you extrapolate that and go to leadership and sales managers and all that, it's the same thing. Where sales managers, leaders, directors, anything you wanna put on there where they go wrong is they do what I did in the beginning of sales is they treat everyone as that person is can be successful if they follow what they did exactly. Mm-hmm. So you say, here's what I did to be successful, now everyone let's do this, because this works. Mm -hmm. Instead of realizing, wait, everybody's different. Everyone has a different style. Everyone's gonna say things different. Everyone's motivated by different things. Not everyone's motivated by money. And if they are motivated by money, Mm -hmm. it's not money. It's something else and a something else and something else and like layers and layers and layers. But so many managers say, well, what got me motivated was President's Club. So let's dangle the President's Club carrot. And that works for this bit. And it doesn't work for this bit. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't handle. So same thing with sales is you have to treat each employee each part of your team different in the way that they want to be treated what motivates them what gets them excited what feedback they like and you have to lead them in the way that they will be led best instead of just trying to manage everyone right right i think uh when it comes to management management attracts a lot of people who want power Mm. and they 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 just want to be in charge of this group not realizing that these days, you need that that hypodermic approach when it comes to dealing with your team, so that you can move everyone forward yeah. in what you're doing. And, and what you've just said really, really underscores that. So that's great. Let's think about the role reversal here. Someone who's a relatively new or brand new salesperson, <laughs> but is dealing with someone as a manager, or a mentor, or a trainer, or something like that, who doesn't get your approach or their approach really, what can they do to, outside of leaving the position, right, to work with that manager and convince that manager 
that they should be let to be more themselves, more authentic beyond subtly buying the book and making sure it gets shipped to the manager. It's a tough one because there's some level of managing up, which I've always been good at, um, you know, working with CEOs and, and, you know, in roles that I had. And Mm -hmm. the best approach, if there is one to do that, is to have the data to prove that you can do it. I think here's one of the challenges is, and I've led so many salespeople, somebody comes in, it's early, they still in training. Mm -hmm. I had this one guy. I still remember sunglass Scott because he was he would always wear sunglasses on his head indoor in the training in his first two days. And we're like, and there was two Scots. And I was like, you're just okay. But second day, I'm a VP. I'm like three layers above him. Mm-hmm. He comes up to me second day and says, I read your script and training. It's okay. I'll probably do it my own way once I get started. He said that to my face. Like, and I'm not his direct manager. I'm a couple layers up. He didn't make it past training. Um, so many people make the mistake of thinking I could do this better. Let me just do it my way. Mm-hmm. And I think to really get the respect of that manager and have an impact, you've got to try it their way and then get permission. If you want to do it a different way or you want to try something and then control that. Mm-hmm. And then I think you have to have the data. You have to have like something to support it instead of saying, I need this, or here's what would help me. Cause now you're just going to sound like you're whining or complaining or pointing the finger. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be tough. Ultimately, if that manager or leader is not open-minded and doesn't want to hear your ideas, it might just be a tough fit. Like right. that's one of those roles where if that manager doesn't want to hear it, mm-hmm. or that manager is going to get in trouble for letting you experiment because nobody's open-minded, mm-hmm. that's a tough one. So I'm a big fan of metaphors. And what I just heard is you have to learn how to play by the rules so that you can show you follow the rules, but hey, maybe there's a better way. And I'm gonna make take the metaphor another step further. Uh, this is leveraging my background as a photographer, but photography or art, right? Before you can go into being Jackson Pollock, where you're just splattering paint on a canvas, you have to show that you can do a Rembrandt-like piece of art. Yeah. And then they know that it, it's deliberate, it's not just, I can't paint, so I'm splattering paint down there. Same thing, photography, you have to learn how to do the rule of threes before you break the rule of threes. And I guess sales or any other area in life, yeah. if especially if you're a younger salesperson, if you wanna show that maybe we need to break the rules, show that you can follow those rules first and say, well, there might be a better way of doing it. Yeah. And then my, my next step is sometimes you have to just ask for forgiveness as opposed to permission. Yeah. and and it's so true because again, there's people who go into an organization and say, I could do this better, or I have experience. So just stay out of my way and let me do what I know works best. At the same time, I'm sitting there with a company with 150 sales reps. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we know what works best as the fundamentals. You still have to be human, but like, here's what, here's the script. Here's the process. Here's the flow. Mm -hmm. We know this works. Mm -hmm. Do not mess with this. And, And you're right. It's, let me follow it. Let me learn it. And then I can learn how to paint in the gray areas. I know what I can change. I know yeah. what works better. I can be my person, be my personality and, and be who I am. And I think that's good. And I think you always have to have it based on like, you can't just like fly off the handle all the time. If there's one part you don't like of a sales process, do all the other parts and then try that one different and consistently and just follow that formula over and over again. 
and then prove like that worked. Didn't work just once. It worked over and over again. Yeah. And then, you know, trying to manage up. And again, there's a limit on that. Yeah. And just to break the the, the fourth wall here for the audience, uh, this is patience, especially if you're a younger salesperson, you may be itching to really make that change, but a little patience will go a long way, uh, especially in communicating that you have that patience if you do want to go into management later on. And, and, and the big point, and this is what I've, I've hit so many salespeople over the head with that's really important to understand is the business is in the business of making money. Mm -hmm. Very few businesses have the actual goal of sucking and losing money, (laughs) which means if the business says, here's what we want to do and here's how we do it and follow this process, there's probably a basis for it. Mm -hmm. And it's the safest, smartest choice. It might not work for everybody at maximum, Mm -hmm. but this will win more times at the plate than not winning. Yeah. So just do this. Don't be crazy. Um, so many people go into a business and think they know better. And it's like, we fired thousands of people like you. <laughs> like, trust me. Like, we know. And and again, it's just businesses, like, unless it's a startup and there's no salespeople and you're, you're test pilot number one, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're salesperson zero, zero, zero. Like, that's a different game. If you're not the first 10, 15, 20 salespeople they've ever hired, just just trust. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we're coming to the close. What's next for you? It, it's tough to say. Like, it, it, I want to say what's next and like have this plan. But then what's also fun is just new things come up, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you had asked me this a year ago, I'd say more consulting, more advising. And then I started doing work with universities, right? Mm-hmm. Like Utah State University now has my book as part of their fall semester and then got to meet people like yourself and other professors and learning. And it's like this whole great community and, and whatnot. Um, really, for me, what's really next on a business side is how do I do more scalable products of what I do without losing the actual value? One of the challenges, a lot of times people say, well, I'm just going to create a course and I can sell a course and then that way I don't have to work as hard. Mm-hmm. But not everyone learns from a course. And then the course, you take a course and then what do you actually put in place? So it's that balance and, you know, kind of stuff that you're working on as well. I mean, for me, my mission is still the same. I want to fill the world with a million authentic persuaders. People have gone through training and become, you know, certified in, in that at some level because that's where we change sales is, you know, and, and I'm very selfish. I'm a selfish only child. I want a million authentic persuaders out yeah. in the world because I want as a customer to be able to actually interact with a sales professional who actually knows how to help me right. in the world, yeah. right? For the same reason you teach and the stuff that you do, it's like you want to impact that future. Um, and that's just still the same with me. So where it's going, what's next, anywhere that helps fit that. That's a mission. great, great path to be on. Yeah. Lots of options. So to close, just words of wisdom for the audience here. You know, if there's one final wisdom, one thing that everyone pushes for, they always want to know, like, what's that one thing? I'll tell you, it's, and this is a mindset, so I'll give you two. The first one, non-mindset related, maybe it's mindset related, is when in doubt, do the opposite of what you think a salesperson should do. So many people get into sales and think, oh, here's what a salesperson should do. I should send this email. I should do this. I should do this cold call. I should leave this voicemail. I should just check in and follow up. Like, just do the opposite of what you think a salesperson, sales quote, salesperson should do, 
and you'll win. Uh, mindset wise, I think one of the biggest things is the more you understand why you want to be successful in sales, not just money, because it's never just the money. It's something and under that it's something and under that it's something. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're going to put on your vision board, there's something underneath that and just keep going. When you understand why you want to be successful in sales and why that's important, that will help pick yourself up when you get that 51st no right. or that 10th no yeah. today or that deal you knew was going to close and it doesn't and you want to just crawl under a rock. Mm. Even if you're amazing at sales, you're closing 30% of your deals, maybe less than that, depending on your industry, which means you're losing more times than you're winning. And you have to have something to pick yourself up out of the depressive hole that you could go into. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Jason. Jason's book is available on Amazon. Any other areas they can find it? Uh, they can also go to AuthenticPersuasion.com, buy it directly, and then I will sign it and send it off. There you go. And here's what it looks like. Jason, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.